Hello, listeners. Welcome to Chatty AF, the anime feminist podcast. My name is Vry. I'm an editor and contributor at Anime Feminist. You can uh, find me on the internet on Twitter at Writer Vry, where you can see all the stuff I freelance. Or you can find the other podcast I co-host at TrashPod. Uh, with me today is uh, Dee. Hi, I'm Dee, the managing editor at AnyFem. Uh, you can find all my writings on my blog, The Josie Next Door, and you can hang out with me on Twitter, at Josie Next Door. And Vry, may I say, you have a very good smooth jazz radio voice going today. It's a very important occasion. I needed to put on my smoothest and handsomest voice. It was a soothing intro. I was like, ah, the tension's <laughs> out of my shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> Before it all comes back. Uh, for this very important occasion, we happen to have two guests with us today. Uh, would you two like to introduce yourselves and what you do? Sure. I guess I'll go first. Uh, my name is Isaac. Um, you can find me on the internet as I, as I bless all. I, um, I am on Twitter, but my Twitter's locked. So if you follow me there, you have to send me a request first. Um, in the past, I have worked for Crunchyroll as an associate features editor, and I also run a blog called Mage in, the, Mage in a Barrel, um, but I'm kind of on hiatus, so I don't know if I really count as an Annie blogger right now or not. <laughs> you were on our Oron uh Yes, I was. I'm returning. Hi, my name is Lizzie. You might also know me as that nerdy Bolivianet. Uh, I write for different places i mean you can find all of my stuff now i have a website that's exciting um that nerdy com. so if you want to check out all the stuff i've written for you can find it there and i have a patreon i'm trying to somehow bring to life and yeah so just follow me on twitter at lizzie visitante and uh you may remember them from our michiko and hachin uh, watch along it's a star-studded occasion, listeners, because uh, as Chatty AF ramps up to its 100th episode, we thought it was time to finally pull out the big guns and do the discourse monster itself, Neon Genesis Evangelion, and Netflix putting the show on uh, to a new service, in a manner of speaking, gave us the perfect opportunity. I'm going to ask two things of you. Uh, for those of you who are just joining us because you saw a podcast talking about Evangelion, oh god, another one, uh, <laughs> we have two requests. First of all, if you're going to comment, please do. We love it, but uh, please be mindful of spoilers. The idea of this is that Lizzie and Isaac have never seen the show before, and they'll be coming at it fresh, so please be respectful of their experience. And also, please don't be pedantic. I know this show brings it out in people. Resist. <laughs> <laughs> Please discourse wisely. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so I'm not going to go into all of the production history of Ava because we would be here for literally the entire hour doing that. And I'm sure it's going to come up as we go along. But just as a brief primer for everybody listening at home, Evangelion was uh, a major flagship show of famous studio Gainax. It ran from uh, October of 1995 till March of 1996 uh, under the direction of... Hideki Anno. It's largely considered to be uh, his magnum opus and also a very personal series that reflected his four-year struggle with depression after the production woes of Nadia's Secret of Blue Water and some other failures he had as a director. And as such, it has been spinning discourse basically constantly for the uh, 25 years since. Well, and they keep doing new versions of it and iterations of it and remakes of it, so it continues to kind of stay in the popular uh, sphere because of that too, I think. Mm -hmm. 
That's also true. Yeah, there's a joke people like to make on Twitter that the true state of being an Evangelion fan is being mildly dissatisfied and kind of angry. And I feel like that's accurate. <laughs> well, they just released a new trailer for like the next movie version, right? I think I remember seeing something yeah. about that. Uh, yeah, final will be out theoretically in 2020. I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> like kingdom hearts 3 <laughs> exactly <laughs> until i'm watching the opening credits it's not real <laughs> i can't believe you went there <laughs> i hey i waited so many years for that game here i didn't I think it there. ever happened yeah. but here i am old <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> now for kingdom hearts 4 oh. exactly yeah god and we just keep waiting oh. mm-hmm. yes uh, so as I also made another rule for this podcast that we aren't going to harp too much on the Netflix thing. I do want to acknowledge it. Uh, Netflix has done a pretty crap job at bringing the series to a new audience, which is, you know, depressing, seeing as it was unavailable legally for the past decade. But that is what's legally available. So I know that it is at least what you, um, Isaac and Lizzie, are watching mm-hmm. the show for. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I am. I'm not pirating it. Yeah. No. <laughs> All right. Um, I own uh, I own and cherish the big platinum box, but I I'm gonna be real. I did not obsessively check it for this, and also I really wanted to watch the new dub, so I'm going to limit myself to one. The other translation did this per episode. Ooh. That's brave. Okay. Okay. <laughs> way to way to exercise restraint. Um, yeah. I'm proud of you. Yeah, yeah. I, I will say that on the whole, it strikes me as the new translation is very stiff and functional, uh, allegedly due to Studio Kara's need to be hands-on compared to when Gainax owned the property and Anno himself oversaw the original translation that ADB used. I and did this not know is, that. Yeah, he he was pretty uh, he, he was pretty directly involved himself and. Now we have this instead. Yeah. Although I will say through, and I guess I should clarify, I'm I'm watching it subbed, not dubbed. But through the first six episodes, I haven't noticed that nothing's like especially stood out to me in terms of the translation that's like really thrown me out of it. But, you know, like you say, this is my first time. Yes, that sounds a little awkward, but it's like, to me, it's sort of like normal anime English. <laughs> gobbledygook so yeah no my my major gripe as of right now is that they don't translate any of the on-screen text and there's quite a bit of it especially in like that last episode that is irritating um, where i'm like yeah. it would be nice to know what this says because i speak a little japanese but not like large swatches of kanji that blast across the screen very quickly i'm not going to be able to pick that up yeah. i'd be like oh that's a comma oh i recognize that one hiragana and that's about all i get before it's gone <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. Uh, so far, it hasn't really. I haven't. I'm watching it sub too, so I I haven't noticed any anything too monumental except for what D mentioned. I'm like, oh, okay. I don't know. Like, I know kanji, but okay. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not there yet. So I'm just like, okay. I don't know what's being said. But I'm, yeah. It's probably important. I guess I should have expected. Like, obviously, at a first watch, generally most people are going to go with the subtitled version. I will say that if uh, you at home are revisiting the series. The script isn't very good, but the new dub cast is really talented. Uh, and Casey Mongilo gets all my love. They're very good. And also a trans actor is playing Shinji and my heart is melted. My heart is in a puddle at the bottom of my rib cage. That is really cool. Mm-hmm. Which I guess kind of brings me around to uh, the three of you. I'm really curious to know 
your relative experiences with Ava. Obviously, uh, you two haven't watched it before, but surely you have been sort of culturally aware of the phenomenon. Yeah, I mean, for me, so this is my third or fourth time like trying to watch it because I think I've started mm. I've started and watched the first episode. I don't know, probably a, a couple times before this, and just I think the further the farthest I got was to the end of episode one, and I never went farther than that before. So um, it's yeah, it's been in, it was interesting revisiting that and as I was going through the rest of the episodes, I was, I was like, wait, do I, did I remember that? Have I seen that before? But I think, no, I really only watched episode, episode one ever before. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting to finally get to it. Back when I was blogging, I did write a, I did write a blog post about how I haven't, hadn't watched Evangelion. Um, so it's nice to kind of actually get to experience it now, like to discover the truth of, of the show beneath all of the memes and what you pick up through osmosis and just seeing people talk about it and actually experiencing it uh, for myself. That's been, that's kind of, kind of been fun. Why'd you put it down? Like more than I, once? I couldn't tell you. I think it just never, it never resonated with me. And I think when I wrote that, the blog post that I referenced before, which I think it was literally titled something like I haven't watched Evangelion yet. Um, like I just one thing I really prioritize and like is just making sure I'm having like my own experience with shows because um, I have had some bad experiences in the past with you know various anime where I felt like my reaction to it was being more shaped by the way other people were reacting to it rather than like me reacting to the show itself um, and so mm-hmm. sometimes you know you just you feel like you're not having it's not you watching this show it's like you watching the thr- show through the lens of everyone else who's ever watched it before you and talked to you about it um so thankfully you know it's been i guess it's been long enough since i i felt i felt that way so i felt when when d asked me to be on the podcast i felt more like yeah i think i could actually go into it and like have my own experience with it even knowing that you know we were going to be doing this podcast at the same time nice what about you lizzie I feel like I've just had really bad luck with the show in the sense that I was around like when it was on TV, like back when Toonami and Adult Swim, I know, like, but I just always missed an episode. And whenever I would catch an episode, I would be completely lost because it's like, of course, later in the season. <laughs> and I'm like, OK. And yeah. Ah, the same reason I never watched Gundam Wing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And I, I think because in the way I felt sort of now that I once I hit university you'd think I'd be like okay I have all this access I can probably watch the show now but I think eventually I noticed that there was a large conversation about Ava Gillian that I felt sort of intimidated by it I was like wow it has there's so much conversation with this series that um, and I also I'm very I'm definitely aware that a lot of people really resonate with the show so that's that's something that I think I'm going to be mindful of as we move forward but yeah I think it's just because it has such a big legacy that I'm like okay I'm wondering how will I react to the show that everyone seems to like so much or fight over so much right so but and I figured this is the best way to force myself to watch it (laughs) no that's good I want to put you both in like a little chamber and keep you there for the next like month or two (laughs) (laughs) unsullied by internet opinions just 
drink your fresh takes. Your fresh, unfiltered opinions on Evangelion, yeah. That must be rare. I feel feel like everyone has seen it. It's pretty hard to find... um, It's hard to find people who haven't seen it, although it's a little bit easier since it's been impossible to track down for the last 10 years. Um, And it's especially hard to find somebody who hasn't seen it and also doesn't know a bunch of the discourse already. So... um, like I mean, kind of like you said, Isaac. It's 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 one of those shows that so many people have talked about it, and it's you know such a big like well-known masterpiece title that um, even if you haven't seen it, you might already have an opinion about it based on things other people have said. So um, it's interesting. For yeah, sure. it is. It's intimidating to come to something that is sort of broadly considered a masterpiece because I think there is always a fear of sort of being judged by your own reaction to it. Well, and as Vry can attest after having written at least one essay on Ava, um, some, not all, some Ava fans can be um, destructively passionate, we'll say. Uh, Let's go with that. Thank you. Um, So it can can be intimidating for sure. Um, When we were talking about doing this podcast, a little part of me was like, oh, don't ask me to be on it. Don't ask me to be on it. But But I did. um, But I bit that bullet. (laughs) Um, So here I am. I, I came to you and you were like, but my opinion on Ava is meh. Yeah, I'm one of the only people who's seen Ava and doesn't feel strongly about it one way or the other. Um, I so I'm coming into this from kind of a kind of a weird angle, I guess. Um, but yeah, I watched it. There was a tweet to the effect of the only the only appropriate way to watch Ava is by picking up VHS's piecemeal from the local video rental stores, and maybe you had to skip a volume along the way, but it's fine. You'll figure it out. Um, and that is pretty much how I did it. Um, was a lot of like just like oh volume one's here oh volume three's here we missed a couple episodes that's fine (laughs) um attempted to watch it the first time fizzled out and then finally found a place that had all of them and watched it all in one go um i've actually never seen it in japanese which is a weird uh a weird admission um so this time i am watching it subtitled because i've only ever seen the adv dub so i thought it would be fun to watch the subcast since it's such a good cast yeah it's it's a really accomplished cast like i I hold the ADV tub very tender to my heart, and it's some nonsense what Netflix did to them, sort of unceremoniously throwing them to the curb, but, yeah. but like, it's a really good Japanese cast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and so this has put me in the awkward position of being the Ava expert, which I did not think would happen, because I always... I get away from Ava for a few years, and I'm like, I don't care that much about Ava. It's it's one of those shows, and there's a lot of anime I like better. I wouldn't even, you know, it's barely in my top ten, maybe even just outside my top ten. And then something comes around, and people are having opinions on Evangelion, and I'm like, excuse me, what did you say about my children? <laughs> just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. Yeah, and then it turns out I have a lot of feelings about Evangelion. Uh I, uh, I, I rented the series from my college library when I was probably about 19 and living away from home for the first time and in a really bad place. <laughs> and then I, I, I marathoned it and ended up watching the last couple episodes uh, from underneath my bed. Oh, I no. don't recommend it. <laughs> so, yeah, I've, I've seen it about three times. Uh, the ADV dub, the original Japanese cast, and now the new Netflix dub, which, again, man, I wish these actors had a better script because they sound really natural and good as much as they can. Yeah, I guess I should have, I guess I should have clarified. Um, I did watch it when I was like 14, so. Mm. 
And then we kind of tried to rewatch it in um, college, but I think I've seen the first six or seven episodes a lot, and not, and the rest of it maybe once. So um, huh. we'll I'll I'll start to get real fresh once we get further into it, and I'll be like, oh, I don't remember any of this happening. So that'll be fun. Because I feel like I've watched the legendary last third, mm-hmm. like revisited that a lot, but I don't remember the early episodes much at all. So this has been kind of nice. Like I'd forgot how much there was to appreciate in the first like stretch as far as like moody atmospheric stuff because you know there's kind of that while the series was out of print there was kind of that logic going around of ah you don't need to watch the first six episodes you can just watch rebuild the answer to anything involving ava is never you should just watch rebuild yeah i feel like this these first i feel like this first stretch of episodes does a lot as far as setting up the stage for where these characters are um and like you know the the beginnings of their relationships with each other and kind of getting you settled into the weirdness that is nerve and the angels and everything Mm -hmm. yeah so uh hey newbies how you feeling yeah uh sad (laughs) (laughs) i well i will the one thing i'll say is you know for for like people saying to skip the first six episodes i felt like for at least for every episode that i watch in this first batch there is at least one like really really standout moment for me so even in that respect i guess maybe if you'd seen it before you could skip them and i don't know anything about the rebuilds but to me, to me, watching them, They're to bad. me, watching them is, you know, kind of, I, to me, at least just in the first watch, they stand on their own and they're rewarding uh, on an individual level. So I don't know why anyone would say that. It was uncomfortable to watch because I felt like these, fir- these first six mm. episodes really captured what it's like to be depressed. And... Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I don't know why. Again, I don't know what rebuild is about. So, <laughs> like, I'm clueless. But for these six, it was a lot. It was a lot. Well, I think yeah. To just to pick up on what Lizzie was saying about capturing the experience of being depressed, one thing that really stood out to me, even in these first six episodes, is you really how much you feel the distance between people, and I mm-hmm. think there's mm-hmm. almost sort of like. Um, just kind of like a wave motion to the like feeling of distance and connection because there are these moments where I felt really strongly like oh you know that's like a you know a moment of reflect uh, of connection for Shinji or for whoever else um, I think the one that stood out to me most was in episode four when the two guys from his class come up when he's he's about to leave except he doesn't and then you know he punches the one boy and boy in the face and I was like oh you know this you know it's sort of like a breath of fresh air and with how stifling everything is there I guess the more appropriate metaphor would be like a breeze in the summer um so so you have this sort of like I don't know like you you have to like break it down but there's sort of like a a wave where you're like okay now like you know, there's all this distance between people, and then every once in a while, you get this like ray of light or breeze blowing in, um, where somebody connects with another person. Yeah, I think the show. Um, something I was impressed with this time through is the show utilizes something I don't think you see a lot in anime so much anymore that you saw more in the '90s. Um, is 
willing to kind of sit on shots or silences to an uncomfortable degree. Uh, there's some moments in Utena that do this as well, that do this too very well. Um, but there are there are scenes in this where it's like stiflingly silent, where it's just two people standing next to each other, not knowing what to say to each other. Um, and then you'll also have these very sharp cuts that are kind of from Shinji's perspective of sort of the things he's flashing back to over the course of the day um, that lead to a good sense of disorientation. It's it's very well put together. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think sometimes Ava has a reputation for being a super messy narrative, and I th- I vaguely think we're going to eventually get to that point. But these early episodes, there's a methodical. Um, real tightness to the direction and the the way they let certain things linger versus how quickly things happen that I think really puts you into Shinji's headspace in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like you guys said, it's, it's why it's such a good depiction of depression. I was just going to add, like, the shots that stood out to me the most is when he's in the first episode and he was arguing with his dad. Like, you get these shots of everybody watching the argument ensue and, like... That's kind of what it feels like when you're de- when you're depressed. Like you feel like everyone is kind of judging you, kind of like seeing you as this very weak person that can't do the things that everyone wants you to do. And the second one for me is when he's just in the movie theater staring and his eyes are just blank. And it's like and it's like whew, those scenes really there were a lot and it made me really uncomfortable too that the solution to his depression everyone's solution to his depression was that you need to man up you need to man up why can't you do this oh like you have to toughen up aren't you a boy i'm like that's not exactly i think what shinji needs to hear (laughs) you know that's not a way to solve his depression yeah i think that's super toxic even if he wasn't depressed like even if he was just you know a, a a mentally a mentally uh healthy 14 year old like telling somebody yo you just need to man up like it's super toxic so and i did i started a you're a boy tally in the early episodes because i felt like characters kept telling shindy you're a boy aren't you yeah mm-hmm. you would get drunk really quick if there was <laughs> if it was a drinking game <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, you know yeah enjoy that ongoing theme oh gosh yeah that was a lot yeah the uh the toxic masculinity in this show it'll come back i, I find it interesting that like even the moment when Shinji's able to connect for a minute and and he and Toji have that punching match is like, even that is toxic masculinity bullshit. I need you to punch me to express your feelings. Yeah, he did not look comfortable. Shinji is like, I don't want to do that. Do it. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, it's like, it was, he was not, not what he was wanting to do. And I don't know, everyone seems to like telling Shinji what to do and just, you know, and go against his will on a daily basis. I'd forgotten on rewatch how much episode four makes me mad because it's they everybody tells Shinji that if he doesn't want to do this, he should just go. And I'm sorry, where is he supposed to go? It's fine. You can leave this job at any time. And also all of the social support structures that you even tentatively have. And also you'll be all alone economically. Well, okay. That actually brings up a question that maybe I'm not supposed to ask, but um, mm-hmm. I mean, he was living somewhere before the show started and he had, he was seen living with a teacher. Years. He was living what? He, he, he was living with a teacher that we never beat. It's just mentioned. Oh, okay. Was he in this? I mean, like I assume he was in a different town or ha- was going to a different school or had some kind of, social structure there that he got yanked out of yeah it's literally never commented on besides the fact that he he played the cello 
and he lived with a teacher. He doesn't seem to have had any friends that he thinks about or anything. Like, he just, he talks about how he just existed there. Yeah, I guess that's why episode four maybe didn't make me as angry as it did you, because my assumption was, oh, he's just going to go back to whatever life it was that he left, and maybe he didn't love it, but there was something there. Um, Mm -hmm. So I wasn't thinking of him just being, like, completely kicked out of any kind of, um, any kind of social structure, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, like, it's interesting to me because like, yes, he technically has something to go back to, but I feel like the way the show frames it, it's as though he's finally begun to have, you know, something for his depression to cling on to. And theoretically, like Masato takes up the job of helping him. And then, and then she finds out she can't handle it because she's got her own stuff going on. And like, you know, the initial, the initial move is to, dump this off i can't deal with this and to her credit the thing that makes her different from gendo is that she regrets that pretty quickly and takes him back yeah i feel very conflicted about her because i i almost sometimes it feels to me like she's even worse than gendo because she like swaps back and forth between being really nice to him and then that's put in tension with her job as his superior superior officer uh, like I think for me the moment I mentioned there are like moments that really stood out in episode one there's such a distinct um, sense of betrayal for Shinji when Misato tells him to get get into the robot um, like she's been nice to him dr- you know they've driven in the car and they get there and she tells him get in with this really serious look on on her face and I think there's like a reaction shot of him and you just feel how much uh her sudden that kind of about face that she does or how he perceives it as such uh really hurts him and i feel like she continues to do that through the rest of the show even though she regrets it she obviously obviously has ambivalent feelings about using him but she keeps going back and forth between oh i'm really nice to you i'm gonna like support you and getting frustrated and saying okay you're just gonna do what i tell you and then but she doesn't like that either when he just says yes yes ma'am Hi. Yeah, I think I think it's fair to have conflicting feelings over Misato because I think Misato herself is very conflicted. She's in a position where she's really the only adult in the show that we've seen who does her who does her very very best to think of Shinji like a kid and you know a, a person and not just the person and not just uh, the figure piloting the Ava. Um, I think she attempts to make an emotional connection with him and try to make him feel like he's got a place that he can live here. But at the same time, as pretty much everyone in the show points out, they don't really have another choice. There's nobody else who can pilot these robots. And we haven't been told why yet, but as of right now, there are they have two people. One of them is in multiple casts. Um, and if they don't destroy the, the angel, it will wreck all of their shit. So I think Misato is also... And Again, that doesn't make the jerking around that Shinji experiences okay, but I think she's also put in a very difficult position where she can't just shut off the human part of her brain like Gendo and Ritsuko seem to have done um, with Shinji, but she also can't give him the time that he, act, that he actually needs because there are a lot of lives on the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think it's it's so... like I don't think Misato is a bad person. I, I think... I mean everybody loves Masato and there's a good reason for that. I, I love Masato. Uh, but, but like, she's in a bad situation where she thought she could do a thing. And now she's realized it's not that simple, but she can't back out on either end. 
like she rushed into something uh, very serious when I don't think she's ever been in a caretaking role before. Realized that, like, she, she has... She has friends. She and Ritsko are friends, and they, they snipe at each other. But And she has been a commander, but she's never been in, like, a a older sibling parental-type role, as, like, you get the feeling. Mm-hmm. And that's suddenly something. I'm not, like, oh, no, this isn't easy. I don't, I don't like this. Yeah, I, I certainly don't think you can blame her, but I think just the nature of the situation and the fact that she tries to be, that she has to be both an emotional support and has to push him in this way, I think makes her, I, I, when I was taking notes, I just, and she they're having that scene where, he, where they've got the like cross shadow in the blue and orange, um, mm-hmm. where he's like in that prisoner set holding cell or whatever. I just wrote down that she just feels like poison to him sometimes. Because I think the emotional connection that she makes, well, that is the hedgehog's, that's the, is that the one that's actually literally titled the hedgehog's dilemma? Yeah, it is. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like a very clear illustration of, you know, as she, as she gets closer to him that way, it also enables her to, or not enables her, but puts her in a place where she's more easily able to hurt him. I do wish the show would stop making hilarious jokes about whether she's going to bone her teenage charge. Ha ha. Ha ha. Yeah, well. Yeah. Because I feel like in some ways the show really understands the dynamic between them and the power imbalance because she relies on him because he's the only one who can do this piloting job, but he relies on her for his livelihood and also, you know, to advocate for him to the other members of Nerve. But also the show, I don't think, understands like it kind of understands that what a gross misuse of power that would be but it's also i think buying into that whole bullshit you know when a when a boy is uh is preyed on by an older woman then that's hot and he's becoming a man yeah that's gross i think they don't thankfully they don't do it very much um, mm-hmm. most of the time it's Misato sort of being oblivious to the fact that, you know, she's leaning across the table and Shinji can kind of see down her shirt and he's trying really hard not to. Um, mm-hmm. I think, I think it, it's more those kind of things, which I'm kind of okay with because, you know, if you're a teenager attracted to people and you're suddenly in the house with a stranger, like I could see that being awkward. So I don't, I don't mind it playing with those elements. So it doesn't, it doesn't bother me too much because it doesn't come up very often. I just kind of go ugh when it does and move on. I, it is a shame that one of the first casualties of uh, of the ne- of Netflix not translating on screen text is the toothpick gag, which makes me laugh. It's totally tasteless and it makes me laugh. Oh yeah, when uh, when Shinji runs out of the bathroom because Pen Pen the penguin is is in the tub and uh, he's uh, he's carefully blocked by the beer can and then she picks up the beer can. It's uh, the little jar that's still there to uh, carefully censor for us. It says toothpicks on it. It's uh. It's a little mean. <laughs> yeah, it, and their their uh, relationship between those two makes an interesting foil to Gendo and uh, Ray's relationship. Man, I just want to say that dad sucks. Yeah, he's awful. <laughs> he's Gendo's so the worst awful. anime dad. He is such but... a fucking awful dude. It's just like he is so unbearable, and, and it looks and it's worse that he almost he looks like his son, and I don't know why that gets me, but it's like. <laughs> Like Shinji can look at his mirror and be like, "Shit, I look like my dad." No, no, hold on to that. Explore that thought. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. he like he looked. I don't know. I'd be mad. But yeah, 
But like, I think what mm-hmm. the thing that bothers me about most of the adults in the show is like how little they care about the children in the show. I mean, they're young and then they're thrown out to fight in these what what are they called? Mecha suits or whatever. Even I I don't know. Like, but they have no regard. Even when Shinji first arrives. Um, in the city, the first thing they tell him is, okay, you got to ride that and fight that angel. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> you know? He had no training, no preparation, nothing, no regard if he was going to be okay by the end of it. And even if he didn't want to do it, they were gonna willing to throw Ray out there. And she was like, she had a broken arm. She was bleeding everywhere. It's like, I'm like, wow. Then, this is only episode one. I can see none of you have any regards for the, the young kids in this show. Yeah, I am very curious as to what you two thought of that first battle sequence, because I think I think it's very well produced on its own, and I think it works, but it's also, as a commentary on the robot genre, I think some of the stuff that it's doing is maybe not as impressive as it was at the time now. Uh, impressive how? Compared to a lot of the uh, giant robot anime that was being made before Evangelion, and I'm not prepared to say all robots ever because it's not a genre I know the extensive history of, but a lot, it, it was pretty common to do the thing of the, you know, the from nowhere hero who is chosen unexpectedly and gets in the giant fighting machine and is really good in the giant fighting machine and wins a miraculous victory and, and he's the chosen one. So it was kind of a big deal for Ava to pull that same move, but frame it as, this is a child soldier, he's getting in a giant war machine with no training, and he has no idea what to do, he can't even make it walk. And also, uh, the, the fact that the Avas are very fleshy and eldritch was a major move that inspired a lot of uh, imitators. Like, it it really cannot be overstated how much this changed the landscape of anime and how it was made for, like, a decade. Oh, yeah, the, it's, uh, it was interesting watching, I guess I'm not answering your question, but even just on, no, no. on the influence, um, you know, just looking at this, you know, I've seen other Anno stuff like Gunbuster, and I've watched a lot of anime um, directed by people who are influenced by him, and so it was very... It's actually, I don't know, it's kind of funny watching this and like how familiar so many of the shots feel because I've seen so much anime that, you know, it has been influenced by this, even just in terms of like the visual style. Um, so, you know, I like see these like nicely, nicely composed shots or whatever. I'm like, oh, yeah, I've like seen I've seen that before. Um I mean, even even down to some of the characters, like there are like direct parallels. I'm like, oh, this character reminds me of this other character from another show I've seen. Um, I don't. Ray invented an entire archetype. Yeah, but even yeah. in the side characters, I don't know if you guys have seen um, Kuro Mukuro, which is also on Netflix. But it was a PA mm-hmm. Works um, robot animation, and yeah, I've yeah, seen and there is a character in that show who is like. Uh, just a side character in the class who has freckles and a camera and likes to go out and try and like film the battles. I'm like, so I like, I forget what the character's name in Ava is, but I, you know, I saw him. I was like, Oh, he's, this is familiar. I've seen this before. Kensuke. Yeah. Yeah. Put a pen in that. I want to come back to Kensuke. (laughs) Oh, okay. Not so much. Well, it's not so much that he's an important character so much as I, I think the episode where Shinji runs away is like that whole, 
little arc with him becoming friends with Toji and Kensuke is freaking fascinating in terms of giving Shinji a reason to fight because he now understands the magnitude of civilian casualties and then juxtaposing his decision to run away with Kensuke playing gun otaku war games in a field. Like, I think that whole sequence is brilliant and the, the color composition. And I really appreciated these episodes this time around in a new way that's exciting for me. God, the remaster looks good visually. I think what I appreciate about those two characters whose names I can't remember, but uh, um, basically I like that they're one of, one of the, the very few people his age who kind of show empathy towards him. Like they have no idea how to help or support him, but when they see him break down in the mecha suit and they, I don't know, like something about that shot when you see them and they see how much in pain he is. It was like, wow, this is this is nice. So finally, this is kind of what Shinji wants. Like he wants people to kind of actually reach out to him because he's just incapable of doing that himself. Right. So I don't know. I appreciated that a lot with those two characters. Maybe that'll change later down the road. Who knows? <laughs> but yeah. No, I, I, I know what you mean. I agree. Because then, then even in the next episode when Shinji, you know, briefly decides to quit and they meet him to say goodbye and they even say they're like they're kind of like yeah we you know we do kind of need you but we we saw what it's like in there we totally get why you wouldn't want to keep doing that so like we can't blame you for for wanting to leave um and i think that more than anything is the reason he decides to stay i don't think it's necessarily the 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 you know like the daddy issues or the developing relationship with misato um i think it's that moment of somebody saying no i get it I get why you don't want to do this. Um, you know, I, I totally sympathize with that, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna put that pressure on you. I think he kind of needed that, that element of like sympathy and that willingness to like let him actually have a choice. Yeah, and that really makes the end of that episode uh, confusing because it's hard to know whether you know, like, is this a good thing or a bad thing that he's staying, or is it heartwarming that he's like yeah. had this connection and now he's not gonna run away, or is it actually like really heart wrenching because. Now he's going to go through a whole bunch more pain, probably, because he didn't take his opportunity to leave. Yeah. I would have left. Ava! <laughs> yeah, it's, no, it is, it, it is a, it is a conflicted feelings kind of ending to that episode. <laughs> and it has that long, long shot. You, you mentioned those, uh, one of you guys did, the long shot of him and Misato, uh, where he's standing there and she's by the car, and it's probably like a minute or longer, where it's just on that shot. So you really get to, like, think about, mm-hmm. like, how conflicted you are about this and it's and it's kind of and it's even more conflicting later on when in episode six towards the end you finally see him smile but i feel like seeing him genuinely smile and reaching out to somebody which was when you know when lay was hurt and he did the thing of copying his dad and getting her out of that capsule he's like no don't don't say goodbyes if this is the last time i'll see you and like him reaching out you know and then him showing empathy to somebody to somebody else since everyone else is just not capable of doing that to him except for those two boys i mentioned earlier i mean i felt conflicted with that because on the one hand i'm like yay i I like that you are i see a genuine smile in you for one thing but i also don't like it has to be in the middle of a battlefield (laughs) where like you're probably gonna get killed you know and his first reaction to to meet to, to having a full conversation with a girl his age is to tell her to smile. Oh god. I, I'm joking. But I, was I find say, that really funny. I was gonna say, in in the context of the scene, I do not yeah. I, I think it's kind of a sweet moment. Um where, where... It is. It is. It's just a fun it's just it makes me laugh. <laughs> like 
decoupled from context. You can't even sure, have sure. A, that sweet moment because she smiles back at him, but she's also seeing his dad. Like in a brief flashback, so is it like, is she actually smiling because she's happy or is she smiling because he reminds her of Gendo, who is so awful to him. And so we can't have any nice things in this show. Yeah, (laughs) we can't. And I feel really uncomfortable with Gendo and Ray. I'm just like, something about those two. I was like, hmm, I'm uncomfortable. I don't like that you have his glasses. Can you not have his glasses? Yeah, they mm-hmm. they linger on um, some stuff between the two of them just enough that you're like, mm, I don't feel good about this. <laughs> this like, doesn't feel like a like a mentor thing. This feels this feels a little creepy. Mm-hmm. Like it's one thing that she pretty clearly is, you know, admires him and maybe has a crush on him. It's another thing that you get by the end of these episodes, kind of the impression that he's happy with that as long as he is it. He is the kind of person who would know that and use it to get her to do what he wants because he's awful. Yeah, um, but he also, she's also the only person we've seen him like visibly give a shit about. So mm-hmm. it's concerning in a way, <laughs> which it shouldn't be. It should be like a humanizing moment. Like, oh, he actually does care about people, but it, it ends up just coming across as kind of creepy um, because we've seen him be so, so awful to Shinji up to that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. It's so such the opposite feeling. I'm like, oh, you. I feel like you should have a heart in this moment, but I don't. I feel like there's something more here. I was gonna say, I think these early episodes, especially, do a very good job of taking some kind of like, sort of standard archetypes and things, and spinning them in such a way that the tone is totally different. Like you were saying, like the super special boy gets in the robot, but it's actually very traumatizing and horrifying to watch. Um, or you know, the the cold hard leader has a moment of of what looks like humanity, but then it ends up kind of coming across as very creepy and concerning as you go on. Um, and I'm especially thinking about the scene in in Ray's room where Shinji falls on her naked, and oh no, it's like, I mean, it's like been done to death at this point in like harem anime, right? It's such bullshit. But the way that scene is framed, first, we never really see Ray. Like, she's very carefully like covered in, and clothed throughout the entire thing. Um, and two, the long silences, the lack of music, her complete, like, unresponse to it, that scene is super disconcerting. Mm-hmm. It is not played for comedy at all. It is very, very uneasy and tense the whole time through. It's such an upsetting scene, and I kind of, like, I, I love how Evangelion uses nudity and overall, but, like, that scene in particular is such a standout of, like, oh, oh, God, oh god, everything is uncomfortable and none of this is normal or okay. Yeah, even her room is a total mess. You can just tell, like, she's not looking after herself and clearly no adult or anyone who gives a damn is looking after her. So I'm just like, mm-hmm. okay, so, so there's a lot happening in her life that we're, we're just not seeing yet. So Yeah, and during like even during that scene, like instead of necessarily lingering on the kids, they keep flashing to like the bloody band-aids in the trash can or the the pile of medicine on the desk. And so again, it gives the whole scene this very tinged over with things are deeply, deeply wrong here. This is not this is not amusing teen comedy shenanigans, you know. And even when Shinji is thinking that maybe he's attracted to her, it's it's all tied up in this fact of he's also jealous of her for usurping his place, essentially. Oh yeah, that oh, that's that awful scene where he's like watching that Ray talk with his dad from his cockpit, and has like got that shocked face because he's like, "Oh wow, look, my dad is human to another person. That's not me. Why couldn't he be like that to me?" <laughs> oh. 
<laughs> right. It, it's not that my dad is incapable of loving anyone. It's that he didn't love me. Oh. <laughs> I feel like this is going to be a terrible running joke. Being Shinji is suffering. I love my son. <laughs> and he's going to do some awful shit later well, on. Well, yeah, I gotta, I, I gotta say, you know, for all of the, like, jokes you hear about getting the robot and, like, people not liking him, I was, I guess... You know, you never, like I was saying at the beginning, you never know how you're going to react to something when it's, like, actually just you. And I I guess just because of all, everything I've heard, I was, like, surprised at how quickly I liked Shinji from the start and just felt for, felt for him. I think even within the first episode, even though he's, like, so bad at communicating um, and is kind of whiny and stuff, I just, I liked mm-hmm. him. I guess he's cute, which helps. <laughs> you guys remember that moment where he's wearing the like hard hat with the like medical cross on it? Ugh, adorable. Oh. I you just want to protect him. I felt a lot of empathy too because I one of the things I noticed about the very intense discourse is how much everyone dislikes Shinji and as of now it could change later. In the first six episodes, I felt a lot of empathy for him, you know, because I mean I don't know, like that's again that's just what it's like when you're depressed, like. You feel disconnected from the world. You feel like you're just unlikable and unlikable and whiny. And everyone's kind of like judging you and all your flaws. And, you know, you're just kind of there. So I don't know. I felt mm-hmm. I felt a lot of empathy for him. If nothing else, I was really uncomfortable and, and impressed about how well these first six really captured his state of mind. Yeah, I, I agree with that on this watch for sure. Um I can I can attest to the uh, people to, I can I can explain the Shinji dislike a little bit from my own perspective because what when I do? when I watched it when I was again the same age as these kids um, part of it I think is expectation of the audience going in is there's this sense of like oh it's a big epic mecha action show about kids getting into robots and most of the time that is played in media as kind of wish fulfillment like yeah i get to be the big hero as a teenager so when i'm watching as a 14 year old i don't have a ton of sympathy for shinji because a part of me is like dude either do it or just leave like why do you keep doing it and then whining about it you're saving the world um so from that perspective of like it's a piece of fiction it's supposed to be like a power fantasy um but that's not what ava is doing um and so i think some of that is the disconnect between what ava is actually trying to do with the concept of like no this is what being a child soldier would actually be like versus the audience kind of expecting it to be more like a hoorah um you know action series um i think that is a large chunk of it um and I also think the other part is the show does a really good job of making Shinji both very realistically and um, relatably depressed, but also sometimes just a petulant 14-year-old. Um, mm-hmm. Because he is. He is also a 14-year-old in addition to being depressed. Um, so, like, like that scene with Misato where he's just answering, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, and she kind of snaps at him, like, are you actually listening to me? And he's like, yeah, but it doesn't matter because it worked out, and also I'm the only person who can do this. And I'm like, mm, you're kind of rubbing this in, aren't you, buddy? This is a little bit of a power play for you. Um, <laughs> and Misato gets annoyed at him because he's being 14. Um so I uh, and I think I think so. It's it's a combination of those two things. Is again, I 
watching through this time, very sympathetic to Shinji. Um, my opinions have changed a lot since I was 14, obviously. <laughs> um, but I think that's where, I think that is where some of it comes from, is a lot of people who watched it when they were younger sort of remembering the story from that perspective. Well, even just talking about the genre, the show even sets you up for expecting like a grand fight, because every time the Ava launches, there's that like theme music that goes along with it as it's kind of going up through mm-hmm. the channels, which is very, you know, classic, like, mecha anime launch uh, launch Mm -hmm. launch track and then you get there and you're like okay i'm like ready and then you know bad things happen uh when they get to the top so you know the show clearly is i mean obviously i think people are fairly well well aware of a lot of ano's influences of like super robot shows and stuff um that he was fans of and it's interesting how it how the show takes some of those elements and just uses uses them in a way that looks like it's going to be straight and then when you get to the real stuff then it's it's sad again <laughs> sad again the evangelion story that's our tagline for this one Vry. and then it's sad again <laughs> oh gosh and even the fight scenes are brutal to watch cuz like when sinji is fighting cuz like the mecha is connected to his like his um in a way he's connected to it psychologically so if that arm Mm -hmm. gets broken he feels his own arm getting broken (laughs) or or any Mm -hmm. or when his mind breaks or he feels that right so it's very Mm uncomfortable it's really awful to watch (laughs) like when it's very brutal yeah yeah there's nothing pleasant about fighting in that mecha suit because if he gets shot in the head he feels that he feels that in his head and his nerves right so mm-hmm. it's like wow. I think Shinji's yeah, technically time. died like twice. He's mm-hmm. felt like he has died twice, um, and we're only six episodes in. The fact and the fact that they uh, very deliberately give the the robots a knife instead of guns, like that's a very up close, visceral weapon. Although they do use guns in the last episode, I was thinking about that as a beginning when you said we were bringing out the big guns. I was like, oh yeah, they did bring out the big guns eventually. <laughs> They, they brought they out a really, really big, big gun. gun. They actually have it. I, I love that. That's like a, t- like a tiny moment of levity in in a pretty like quietly oppressive series of episodes when when Masato politely bullies uh, the, the department for their big gun and then just has Ray lifted out through the roof. I love that sequence. Yeah. Well, that's that whole thing is was actually nice to see for Misato because up until that point, I don't think you really get a sense of like. Why is she a captain? Like, is, did they, you know, is she just there because the show wanted a, you know, a hot girl I- involved? But then you actually see, like, oh, like they've characterized her in a way that, like, makes her, you know, it's clear she ha- can come up with plans and ideas for operations and make things happen. So I actually really liked that. Yeah, I think I think Misato is a very, um, very well developed character, and and yeah, like you said, that scene really shows. Um, that not only can she kind of like take charge and be assertive, but also she's very clever. She thinks outside the box. She finds ways around these um, these very bizarre problems and potentially world-ending problems um, with a lot of coolness, which I love Misato. Sorry, just had to throw that I, out there again. I, I feel like somebody, um, someone on Twitter the other day was like, uh, Misato is the first millennial, and I feel that so hard in my bones <laughs> that it actually hurts. <laughs> Because she's really clever and creative and she works constantly and her personal life is a depressed disaster and she has an alcoholism problem that we're not talking about. Oh, yeah. She does drink she a, a lot. She, has a she just likes beer. She, and she has a penguin. What's not to love about her? I ask you. Yeah. 
that caught me off guard. I was like, everything was so intense and serious. And I see this penguin. I'm like, okay, you're there. The show, something I noticed in these in these first six, and I'm curious to see if this kind of continues, is the few, there's not a ton of, like Bryce said, there's not a ton of moments of like levity or like warmth, but the scenes in Misato's apartment almost feel normal sometimes like they have this it's all of a sudden we like dip into almost like a sitcom vibe like where she and Shinji are sitting like Shinji you know when he runs out naked because there's a penguin in the in the tub and then when Ritsuko comes over and they're complaining about like the bag the bag curry that she makes that gets all messed up um it has a feeling of almost normalcy like obviously they still you know they don't get along 100% but I mean most people in their day-to-day relationships don't um, but you can almost forget that there's like life-threatening danger going on when you're in her place. It feels like it feels like when Shinji says, you know, I'm home as he walks across the the uh, the arch, the oh my god, the threshold. That's the word. Um, <laughs> that her apartment does kind of become uh, the one space of semi-normalcy. Yeah, it's it's like this warm reprieve from the everything. Yeah. Just good because otherwise I think it would get a little bit unbearable at times because yeah like I said uh Otto was you can characterize the first show by the first 12 is Otto not treating his depression and the second half is Otto treats his depression and shit gets real weird so we have that to look forward to yay uh-huh Team. yeah um we're running up towards the hour but just as Real quick, uh, do you two have any predictions for the next set of episodes? Mm, I feel like it's going to get more weird and depressing. <laughs> it's like a... Usually a safe. <laughs> and then it gets sad again. Yeah. <laughs> That's a tagline that. Yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't really predict much, but yeah, I will probably not feel good about several things that happen. Is what I expect. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. None of us are. I am very interested to hear your reactions to next time. Extremely. That. Ava will. Mm. Ava keeps you on your toes. I will. I will say that about it. Um, as my memory of it, it, it definitely keeps you on your toes. So. Uh, and if you are following along with us at home, next time we will be watching episodes seven through thirteen. So that's the end of the first half. It's exciting. And we'll feel sad. Yeah, and, and you know what? At least we'll, Rai will enjoy us being sad, and that's okay. Yes. That's true. I'm, I'm really enjoying this. It's like when I ask people to live-tweet interview with the vampire on the internet. It's delightful. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, uh, listeners. We hope that you have enjoyed this first of four episodes, looking at Evangelion. Uh, yes, we will be doing End of Ava. Don't worry about it. If you liked this, you can find more episodes of the podcast by searching Chatty AF on SoundCloud. And if you really liked it, you can toss us a dollar on patreon.com slash anime feminist. It helps us keep uh, content ongoing, both on the page and in your earbuds. You can find more content from the team and our contributors at animefeminist.com. Or you can find us on social media. We're on Facebook at Anime Fem. We're on Tumblr at Anime Feminist. And we are on Twitter at Anime Feminist. Uh, That's it for us this time around. And uh, remember, until next time, you don't have to get in the giant robot. (laughs) I mean, I guess if you want the world to end, no, you don't have to get in the giant robot, Vry. No pressure. The giant robot is a metaphor, (laughs) (laughs) Dee. But even if you do, it won't help because you'll still feel sad. (laughs) Ha <laughs> <laughs>
Oh no! And, and you could die. What a good note to end on. And you could die, and it'll all be for naught. <laughs> anyway, here comes our cheerful ending outro music. Mm-hmm.